And today we have a conversation with Martez Gaines. He is a current graduate student at Vanderbilt University, as well as a graduate of the Morehouse College and a community organizer in the Atlanta area or wherever you need him. Just give him a ring. Today we have a very interesting conversation. Uh, It was supposed to be about the way that queerness serves as a barrier from reaching your true self. However, we didn't end up there. You know, we had a great conversation on race in America and the ways that our queer selves and our black selves serve as a barrier from us being able to compete in the American experience. So let's get right on into the episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. How do you think that being queer has altered your experience? I think that based on society, queerness has definitely become like a barrier. Um, And I think that when we think about queerness in itself, and we think about, so if we're talking about like this um, unadulterated presentation of self, if we're thinking about this most authentic self, queerness should actually be the window or the gate that gets you to that. Because when we think about queer and just itself, it is literally just the difference. It is being different than the norm. And I think that when we're talking about being your authentic self, the most authentic you can be is just to be different than the norm. Granted, like for me. So I think that queerness should be that channel to like get you to that. But I think because of how we view queerness and especially traditionally how we talk about it around sexuality, it has become one of those things that is you're different and so we're going to other you in a bad way and so I think that for me growing up queerness has been one of those things that it's something that you, um, no pun intended but it's one of those things that you put in the closet um, you keep it in the closet right now um, and it just doesn't come out until it's necessary and at the end of the day there's no necessary time it's, it's sort of what you taught what you're taught there's never a right time there's never a necessary time to bring it up it's just one of those things you kind of just live with um until it's just brought to your face and then you have to deal with it um and then everyone is like you know that's just wrong it's it's a sin or it's just different or it's all of these things and so it, the world makes it a barrier um but it, but in itself i think that queerness um larger than just sexuality queerness is 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 that channel in that window to being your most authentic self. That is what queerness is to me. Okay. Okay, definitely. I definitely I get that. So I get what you're saying when you're saying that queerness is a way to be your yourself. It's like a diet just by definition of the word. Um but like which part of yourself? Because as minorities we kind of have to have two, three, four selves. It's like to that double consciousness thing, like mm-hmm. to be a minority or to be a minority and to be conscious, you kind of have to be a little insane in order to function. Um, so, you know, you have like your American self, you have your black self, you have your like, like all these different versions of selves that you have to present depending on who you're present, who you're presenting to. 
So how has your queerness affected that? Like how like how are you able to how are you able to have your true self that you hold and also have all of these other selves in lieu of being queer? And so I think something that was really important that you mentioned, it, you said something like uh, being this your American self and this your black self. My quote unquote American self, I don't really think it's me. I, and I don't think that when we talk about this double consciousness, I think that it is, it is something that has been necessary. But I think that part that we are showing to the rest of America is not really our true self. I think it is what America has said, this is what we'll accept. And so that's what we've created. And so now it has become a part of our total self, but I don't think it is our true self. I think it is literally something that is crafted. Um, and so I think as, as being a minority, as being a black person in America, my existence in itself is queerness. That is, it is just queer. Um, and I think that any other thing that I'm trying to present to people, um, especially when we're trying to like, quote unquote, fit in, I don't, I don't think it's your real self. Um, and I think that it's an important part that you need to have to, to operate and exist in this world. So I do agree that having this double consciousness, we should be crazy. Um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anybody's truest self. Uh, again, I think it is what has been carefully crafted, carefully constructed, and present it on a silver platter to say, here you are, here's what you want from me and expect of me, and this is how I'll uh, operate in the world so that I can actually make it. But I don't think it's anybody's truest self. Okay, well, go ahead and go ahead and preach on them, okay? I see what you're talking about. Uh, You just kind of derailed me from all of my Irvin Goffman references. I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, I just, I just, because I hear it so much when we talk about this double consciousness, and again, living realistically knowing that it is something that we have and that it's something that we've been taught but that's key we've been taught it like this new movie that came out which i haven't seen i don't know if actually if it actually came out but sorry to bother you um where the way that my friend talks about it is like you know they someone puts on this white voice and you know they're like trying to make sure that they're not hung up for it or something i don't actually know the plot of the movie but i think that's what we've been taught when we get to these like when we're growing up, I mean, of course, you're sort of taught almost everything. You're socialized to be something and something and some things you're, you're taught to be things and other things you're taught to not be. But I think when we're talking specifically in the context of like America, and especially like minorities in America, we're literally taught how to survive. And if I had to be taught it, I don't think that's my truest self at all. It's just it's, it's something I learned not in the physical classroom, but I learned in the classroom that my parents gave me. Like, this is how you should talk to white folks. This is what you should do when the police are around. This is what you should do when uh, this white person says something to you. If you see a white lady as a you know as a black man, if you see this white lady across the street, then you you know you make sure you keep moving away. Or you know if she's in the elevator by herself, then you just get off the elevator because you don't want to get caught up in a situation. These are things that we're literally taught to make sure to worry about and to watch so that we can literally save our lives. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's it. That's exactly what it is. It's like you know, you have to be resilient because this society, the the one in which you inhabit, is designed against you. And it's not being, I don't know, a cynic or being cynical. Like no, like it's it, it literally is the very financial stability of the society that you lived in, you live in is based on your struggle, your oppression, <laughs> literally. So, so you like down you have, with capitalism. <laughs> you know, I ain't there yet, but I'm working on it. Hey, the Lord ain't finished with me yet. Listen, it has to be a it, it's a balance. It's a, there's a, there has to be a balance, but especially in this country, we are the ones who 
and not just us, because there are there are there are other groups. We have to have to acknowledge the the indigenous folk of this country. Period. Okay. So the Native Americans of this land, those native to this land, those First Nation folks, it, it started with them, and it continued with blacks who were stolen. Um, you know, I see these textbooks in Texas are trying to change it up to say that we all immigrated here, but no, we were stolen from <laughs> from lands and brought here, and and any other minority group that is here, we are the rest of America and white America continues to benefit off of us struggling, and that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, like the, the very notion of whiteness is is crazy to me because like whiteness is kind of built on the fact that that they own your culture and you know that they own your culture but you can't say anything about it and like you know that you the very fabric of the reason that they're able to exist and they're able to do the things that they have and have the privileges that they do is based upon your oppression but you can't talk about it because if you talk about it you're making white people uncomfortable and your comfort isn't considered it doesn't matter in our context and that's for me so um I think you mentioned this earlier, but I'm, I'm headed to Vanderbilt in, in the fall. Um, and Nashville is a pretty white place, and Vanderbilt especially is also pretty white. And I think that's something that I was having a conversation with my mom about. Um, my mom, I love her dearly. Um, a lot of people think I'm a little radical, but I have a, I have a lot of things. Like I have a, a RBG flag, the red, black, and green Pan-African flag, and the flag of black liberation. Um, I have you know a lot of different buttons that say different affirming black, uh, different things that are affirming to blackness. Um, different posters, different paintings, just things that, that help me make my space my space. And I'm looking for an apartment and my mom was like, you know, don't, don't go with all that black stuff. <laughs> and I understand why my mom was saying that again, it, it, is, it was a moat of is a tactic of survival it's like you're going to be around all these white folks and the whole thing of it though was don't make them uncomfortable because you might not have anywhere to stay and so for me what i'm sort of every day having to wrestle with but each day i'm getting more and more comfortable with is making white people uncomfortable and and it's not even like purposely trying to make them uncomfortable it's not even about me having to like hey you know you are benefiting from like a system no i don't have to do that i want my very being for me to walk in the room and to make you feel uncomfortable and not uncomfortable like you're scared like i'm going to like attack you but uncomfortable because i'm so affirmed and solid in who i am that that scares you but that's the nature of whiteness like i mean like they're automatically uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with your presence and plus plus you you're being so articulate and so anti-stereotypical which i'm not i have a different opinion of stereotypes than most people but um they have like a problem with that already because you are so articulate and you you don't fit into the mode of whiteness. You're not presenting your white self while you're being this way. So you're still being true to your black self while having the qualities that they don't associate with your black self. So it makes them uncomfortable. And the idea that you don't give a fuck about their, com- their, their comfortness or their, their comfort is a, an issue. And even... It's their issue. Definitely. It's, Who it's said their, that... Uh, was it Tony Morrison? Tony Morrison. I think it was Tony Morrison. <laughs> That's their issue. It's not mine. Yeah, it belongs to you. Uh, but like, like the very idea that you're not invested in their comfort. Like when you were saying like being uncomfortable. The very, the very, the very nature of our country is that is that 
comfort that they have. Like that's their privilege that mm-hmm. they get to be comfortable in those spaces, even when you're not. And you don't care about your comfort because you're so worried about theirs. It's like there are so many times when white people do some fool shit and I'm just like, oh well, you know, I well, they're just they're just being boys will be boys, and they're doing this because you know they're socialized this way. You know, like you do all these things to try to appease them and to make sure that they're catered to. But what about yourself and that part of yourself that exists? You know, it's not just your American self in this by itself. I think for me, when I talk about like. I think the the biggest thing where white people, um, and when we talk about a system of whiteness, is that they knew that even if they were uncomfortable in that moment, that their comfort would be restored. And so for me, I think where I'm trying to get people to a to a place is that I'm not worrying about your comfort level in any regard. So whether that exists, whether it doesn't exist, I I don't care. It's not something that I'm going to even worry about. So as I walk into these spaces and and, and I'm my unadulterated self, that's just what I'm going to be. And so whether that be switching up on language, as they say, then that's just what I, and that's not just language as as being a black person. It's also being being queer. Like there are things that in each community that I'm a part of, they're just terms and like systems of language that we have that help us communicate with each other. And I don't necessarily believe in turning that off. Um, for, For me, like it's, Whatever whatever rolls off the tongue the quickest is what I'm is what I'm gonna say. Period. So whether that be a, a child, a girl, sis, like whatever, like that's just what I'm gonna. If it's a few expletives, some cur- I curse like a sailor, like and you know I mean it's something I'm working on just in general for myself. But like it's like that's just what I'm going to use. And so granted, again, you know we do have to like. I still have to exist in this world, and so I understand that there are still times when I I have to like war in myself like. Damn, do I have to like change up? And every day I'm trying to get to this point where I'm more comfortable with saying that no, I'm not going to change up anything because I'm going to exist whether you're comfortable or not. Whether your comfort is restored or not, I that is not my issue. The issue is that your comfort level should not be affected by me walking into the room. And that's an issue that you're gonna have to take up with yourself. And y'all gotta do some real thinking about it, but I'm not I'm not gonna give my emotional or my mental intellectual capacity to help you get through that one. Um, Cause I didn't give it to you either. So that's just something I'm not willing to, to give um, and to help out with at this point in my life. Do you remember, um uh, there was a shooting in California, and this young man he was trying to get into he was um trying to get to his grandmother's house, and he was trying to get to the, through the back door. I don't remember mm-hmm. his name right now because there's so many, and I try to turn yes. myself off. Um, but he was trying to walk into his grandmother's house, and he was shot like twenty something times. And then his brother came out in like defense of him, and his brother was. He was being very, like, he was very passionate mm-hmm. about, you know, the death of his brother, as you should be. Um, and he was going to several places, and he was on CNN with Don Lemon. And his lack of, a not lack of ability, but his lack of care about being able to perform or give people what they expected made me so uncomfortable. Like, he was just standing true in himself. Stefan Clark, is that it? Uh, his brother came out and uh, like his like his brother's lack of care about the comfort of the people it made me so uncomfortable 
because I've been socialized in no way right. to believe that, you know, you don't you don't say these things about white people. You know, you don't do this. You don't. This is not what you do. This is not this is not proper etiquette to behave this way. So and he would do it. Or I would see him on TV. I would like I want to get behind this cause. There I am behind this cause, but like I can't watch him because he's 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 acting like a minstrel. But then I realized that you know like we have all these stereotypes. And the stories that exist in these stereotypes, we can't use them as a way to erase that group of people. Right. But it's something that we naturally want to do because we mm-hmm. work so hard to separate ourselves so, from right, the, separa- right. the stereotypes. And Morehouse in the surrounding ooh. community. No, I, was to, I wasn't going to name drop, but if you, you want to, we can go there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. I'm down. But I mean, like, it, it made me so very just nervous to see him because I'm like oh my goodness white people are going to tear him up or oh my god somebody's going to get him and like you know there was this kinship there from us being like skin folk but there was also like I see parts of myself in that mm-hmm. person because you know I'm I also am a black man and I also have you know these I have like when I'm with my family when I'm with my friends like I look exactly like that and the fact that I was able, I was not going to be able to protect that person made me uneasy. I actually, I, I remember that class like it was yesterday because I had warring thoughts in my head as well. Um, but I think I, I had a pretty good privilege this semester that um, I took some pretty cool classes at the same time. Um, I was taking black men, black boys in psychology that might have been with you under Dr. Rice and under Dr. Chapman over at Spelman, I was taking um, Intro to Women's Studies and uh, Black Queer Studies. And so for me, it was interesting because as I'm learning all of these things, I'm, I'm trying to put them into practice and I'm trying to like theoretically think about this and, and, and shun some things that I've been taught and trying to like reteach myself, unlearn and relearn and, and things like that. And so in that moment, all I, and even in this moment now, all that I can think about is that we were so, and we as just, as, as, black people, but as minorities in general, having to exist, especially in America, we can talk about, you know, a global context, but especially in America that we were so willing to completely negate the fact that this person was grieving just to make white people comfortable. And there were a lot of comments that day. And I I think I sat in the back of the classroom more quiet that day because I, I really was like trying to wrestle with this in my head, but it was that this person was grieving. So despite how they were presenting themselves on camera, the fact is that he lost his brother and not, no, he didn't lose his brother. His brother was stolen from him, period. It, in, in an act of trauma, that is trauma. And the fact that he has to figure out how to live with this trauma, work through this trauma and still present himself so that other people can know this story is it was like anything that I thought in my head went away at that moment because I had to realize like damn that we have to like worry about whiteness so much that I'm willing to negate this part of his humanity and that was something that I had to I, I in that moment I had to wrestle with and I and I came out with the with the conclusion is that I'm not willing to do that I'm not willing to make you force you socialize you to to hide your your pain to hide your suffering to hide your trauma especially because it's not something that you chose 
it's like but like this type of suffering is so ubiquitous and it's not just like common times since 2012 you know that's that's what we like to start mm-hmm. that's like what we, what we like to say oh the start of the movement was like with Trayvon um, but we have been no starting the movement it's the movement is continuous yes um, you're right but it's like this sort of oppression and this sort of uh, defiance against said oppression has been around for 499 years, and I say that because the first person we, who jumped off the ship, child. and that was <laughs> and that was 1519, not the date that the white people try to tell you in school is. Uh, the That's Spanish actually brought like a couple hundred people here in 1519, um, but like it's just that this sort of oppression is so ubiquitous that we think that oh, like this is this is normal, like this is supposed to happen, but in order for us to be heard, in order for us to make any progress, we have to tap dance. And, you know, you have to play into the roles that white people deem appropriate so they hear you. And it's not even about that. I just want to be me. And you can't do that. Like, I, I, it's like so much struggle for me to figure out who the fuck I am because there's so much happening like there's like there's there's so much to who i am and i can't just be like it's, it's not possible for me to just wake up and present who i am you know like i have to process it first and then give whoever i'm speaking to that sort of comfort and that sort of access to me by being what they need me to be right well, i will push back i think it is possible is it easy no but it's possible and I think it really does go into those those mental conversations where you're you're trying to make that conscious decision to to not do what they want, um, and not just because you're trying to like be against it. It's just like if it's just not you, it's just not you. Um, and I think that it's something that that we are constantly like warring with um, in ourselves. So again, this, this sort of double consciousness and this sort of like multiple identities in one, one body. And it's like, how do they coexist together? But it's just like, it's just every day doing those things that you say are you and in doing those things. Um, and again, it's not saying that for me, it doesn't happen every day. It's not like every day I wake up and I'm just like, yep, this is me today and like I'm just going to be this for the rest of my life it is it is a struggle it is something that I work through every day it, there are things that you know whether it be with family whether it be in the larger context of school the larger like context of this society there are things that I'm, I'm struggling with in myself every day but it is still this struggle that I'm aware of and so I think that it's there's a difference when you have this double consciousness and you're kind of not aware of it like you were just taught like this is how you act in front of white folks but you weren't aware of why you were doing it and you just knew that it was what had to be done but i think there is a difference when you're aware of that of that 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 strife within yourself and you work through it and when you know better you should do better period um, but when you say that when you say that there isn't truth in that and that isn't yourself like there is truth in that i feel well personally i feel because for I am the most American American, and I'm not taking it away from people who were mm-hmm. here first, but I'm saying that in the construct of what America is, I am American. Like my ancestors lived, died, and fought for this country. So I, that that does exist, and the culture that exists in this country was also built on the back of my ancestors. You know, like we all we did the work, um, and even. The culture that white people claim as their own, my ancestors did that as well with the language, with the food, with anything that's American is mine. 
because I have a birthright to it, you know? That's just how I feel about it. So, like, there's truth that exists in my American self. However, I don't have the same attachment to my American self that I have to my black self because it doesn't have the same current, the same current pressures. You know, like, it doesn't, like, that happened way back then, but the way that I live my life now and the way that I function in the movement is different than that. Um, and so, like, I, I mean, I, I 100% agree with every sentiment that you just gave because it's true. Like, there's there's truth that exists in that, but there's so many shades of gray that go missing. And it's like we're these bifurcated people because we have to be. But, like, how do we mill, mesh these things together and find the common thread so we can just be ourselves and not have to be so many different people to please so many different people. So I think for me, when when people talk about their American self or what you present to America, I do not think that clinging to it does any justice to the folks that we come from. And when I say that, it's not saying that our ancestors did not work through blood, sweat, and tears to make a lot of what we're living on today possible. But what I'm saying is that even when we think about, like, you're talking about a birthright to America, I don't want to be associated with the America that is the truth. And so that, that first is being coming to this land and stealing it from Native folks. So when I talk about my birthright, um, again, it's not to deny anything that the people that I come from have done, but what I do want to do is separate that from what quote unquote America is. Because I don't think that one, my ancestors didn't, they weren't, they didn't come here because they wanted to. Did I think they, they were forced, not think, they were forced they to come here and they made it do with what they had. Period. And so I think that when we're talking about these warring selves, I'm not separating my black and my American self because they didn't. They lived, period. They lived how they had to live through whatever it was. It doesn't matter if they were being called an American or not. They made a, They had to make a way for them to survive. And so for me, it's like when I think about when people talk about America, I, I, I love when we how we theoretically want to talk about America as this land of <laughs> this melting pot. Ooh, and and granted, not trying to take away from that there are people who have come here to get away from some some bad situations. There are people who consciously choose to come here. And I understand that. And that's their experience that I that is their experience, period. And I have nothing to say for or against that because it's not my experience. But when we're talking about the experience of the people that I come from forced to come here and so for me it's i I don't want to think about like granted i live here yeah and and i'm going to take part because it is mine but not it's not mine because of how you say it's mine it's mine because we we made it ours period um and so for me it's like i don't i don't i don't take pride in saying like i'm an american (laughs) like because Contextually, right. if we think about when we came here in the first place, and even how we exist till uh, until now, we're still we 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 are colonizing places all over the world Ooh, to this day, and I'm not proud of that. I'm I don't, and I don't want to associate with myself with that. Granted, also being realistic that at the end of the day, 
wherever I go, these papers are going to say that I, I'm an American and I have to now I have to deal with this this burden that you've put on me. So I have to go to like when I went to Paris, I have to be seen as the the American. And it's it's a you look down and I understand why they look down. But it's like, damn, I, I didn't even I didn't even choose that. It's just something that they they gave to me because I just happened to be born here. And so I'm not so like so quick to like necessarily like clean and I understand what people say when they're like well we have just as much birthright and I do get that but I think we have birthright to something different than what than what the quote-unquote founding fathers uh, came here with I think they have a birthright that's something that I don't want oh and the birthright that I have is something that is, is hard work is community it's village like those are things that I, I I have a birthright to that because that white American still exists and that that system of whiteness in America, it has it is warring with my existence here. And so for me, it's like I don't I'm not accepting that. I'm trying to like Janelle Mo, Janelle Monae's song. Uh, what is, is it? What is it called? Is it, I think it's just called American. I think that's oh, what yeah, it's called. Yeah. Like that last song is like I'm not, I don't want your America. I want. I want what's mine. Like I want what is already meant for me, and that again for me it just doesn't align with what the rest of America is. So like I I want to push back a little bit there because to me what it means to be American or what like the American rhetoric is grounded entirely in the work of minorities. It has nothing to do with what the white people did to conquer this land or anything like that. Like everything that we say that America is or what we want America to be, is just the work of minorities. So like, I feel like that is what I attach to. And that is what my birthright is not exactly the history of America, the history that white people try to ignore, even though it had everything and does have everything to do with them. It's just that I feel like the, the hard work pays off the, the idea that, you know, you can come here and that you can make a success out of yourself to fight the bullshit. Like, that is what's mine, even though that the rest of America is the bullshit. Um, so, I don't think that's a pushback then. I think that we agree, but I think we're saying it in a, in a different way. So, from what, what you're saying to me, I agree with that. And that's what I'm saying is that that is just rhetoric. And that's just not what America... Or even when we think about it, because even when you say, like, your American self, your American self doesn't have anything to do with minorities. So it's like, if you want your America to be, like, based on people who came here to make a better life, but then you say, like, we need to present our American self, it's never based on the minorities. It's always based on the white person. And that's what I'm, like, running away from. Yeah. So I, I, I love the fact that we want, and, and, and it has been, where there are people who come to this land for better opportunities. But when they get here, it's not that. Yeah. It's, it's not. Um, whether you came here, like you made the decision to come here, or whether you were brought here, it, the rest, what America has actually been in practice has always been warring against what they say. And so, like, again, so my birthright, when I'm talking about, like, community and village, that's what we, we want in practice. That melting pot is the village. That melting pot is that larger community. But that is just not what is in practice. Um, it's not just what it's just not what's the larger society. And, and so I agree in the fact that I think there are some things that we do deserve and that we do have a birthright to. And and that part of America or that rhetoric of America sounds great, but it's just not actualized. And if yeah. it was actualized, I don't think we would have 
I don't think the view that people have in the world of us would be how it is. Um, because again, we're still like, we're, everything we're sort of doing is like against that. So it's like, come to our country to work for us, but like, you don't really get anything. You come to our country to work for us and we call you rapists and murderers. Right. And you don't, you don't really get any benefits. None. Um, so it's like, but we're going to say you that you rhetoric. get all of those benefits right. and that you are a tax on our public services. However, that's just not. And so, true. so for me, it's like we sell we sell people on the rhetoric, but again, it's just not what's in practice. And so for me, the, what I'm running away from or what I'm rejecting is not what we think about America and rhetoric, but what America is in practice. So um, I think we do agree on that, but I just see it as rhetoric and not again as as what's reality. For for me, um, so I, I agree. There, there are some things we just we deserve. Um, people who have literally died on this land um, and did not choose to come here and die. And so I think there are a lot of things that we deserve. Um, but again, that's what what um, what they give, how they actually present America and how America is are, are kind of different. So America also has some identity issues. Um, yeah. How is America still alive? That's a double consciousness people should talk about. How are they still alive? Well, if you want to pivot, let's go ahead and I'm trying to figure out how, how they have survived, especially when we talk about white people who are also like families of immigrants who sort of like don't understand. Like, you realize your, your family came here from Italy or Ireland and that like you are well, also. Well, they weren't just immigrants. They were immigrants to the table manners because they just came here and they put Listen. their feet on the table and farting in public. Like, they was just out here. <laughs> Oh, listen, d despite all of that, y'all still came here. Like, so how are, I just don't understand why you have so much cling to, quote unquote, being an American. And you're also what what is what is it to be an American? I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um. And I think that that's I think that there there we don't have anything. I don't I don't think that. The only thing that we can sort of like agree on that America has done is sort of pillage. Like, but other than that, like, royal oats. I don't know what else like we can agree on because some of us are like it's a, it's the land of opportunity and it's the land of like minorities. But who who in the hell got the opportunity here? Because it's not the minorities. Well, you know, you had a colored president, and then that means oh, that they, you know we're post-racial. Thank you so much. Because, you for... know, the Negroes didn't vote for Obama to buy himself. They really Let weren't me put just my Negroes. start to bother you, boys. <laughs> Thank you so much for granting us our savior, Barack Hussein Obama. How do you all still um, want to see his birth certificate? Um, that's neither here nor there. But thank you so much for that. However, America's still <laughs> racist, period. And I'm tired of people saying that about, like, get out of my face. <laughs> like, this whole post-racial idea is, like, stupid. Oh, <laughs> like, like post-racial is well it's not stupid it's actually pretty fucking smart because it's like the idea of being post-racial is like we can do all the racist things and we can say oh it's not racist we just make whiteness the standard and then you know it doesn't really matter because if you would just act white you know you can succeed too because whiteness is the standard and i'm tired of that. it but then, and then they don't call it whiteness like they mask it as it's everything normal else. it's normalcy it everything else and it's so annoying like why like education <laughs> why is education inherently white like that those things don't make sense so it's like you use everything else and you're again trying to like 
put yourself as this ideal person, as the one that everyone should. This is what we're all start trying to live up to. And it's just like, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. No. No. I want to do it. Like, I you know I grew up in the South, you know, in the, the 843, you know, PD area. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like... Yes. Yes. And I like I never I never anyone with any influence were never black or were of color. Like I never had a black doctor. I had two black teachers in my entire life. They were both women. Never had a black male as a teacher. Uh, a black man as a teacher. Uh nothing. Like a black cop, none of that. I did not see those things because those those just they weren't present. And so my entire life I only had media in my surroundings to inform my understanding of black people. So I, I didn't get any of that. I thought that blackness was just this one thing and that I was unique because I, I spoke differently and then I looked differently. So I, that means that I was special and that that means that I could be just like white people. So like that means that I got that, that vouch for my humanity from white people because I behaved like them, quote unquote. So that was just that was just like my way of coming to be like that was just my introduction to myself or myself because that was my existence like the only black people that i ever knew growing up were related to me it's interesting that you mentioned that because you know i'm from baltimore and it's a predominantly black city um so i always i was always around blackness and the funny thing is even growing up around blackness where i did see black mayors and, and black politicians and black police officers and black doctors. My doctor wasn't black, but even when I went to the, the hospital, I still saw black doctors and things like that. It's so interesting because even growing through that, the only thing that I was sort of taught was that, yes, they were black, but because they were well-to-do, they were closer to whiteness. And so I think that because of the where we are in, in this... <laughs> non-post-racial society, um, that it doesn't matter where you really grow up because it's always that othering. And so like that, and a lot of people who know me know about my story of coming to Morehouse is that I was actually running away from blackness. And it sounds kind of funny, like, why are you running to an HBCU? But I think if we think about how the, the role that our HBCUs play in our community, especially when we talk about in regard to like elit elitism and classism and things like that, um, I was running away to Morehouse because I thought that, you know, I was already smart and, you know, I was already different from the other black kids and things like that. I like these things. I like these things. Granted, yeah, other black kids in my, uh, in my city go to college, but it's like, but I'm going to go to this HBCU that I'm going to walk around in a suit every day and this, that, and the third. And it was like, I was running away from Baltimore. And I get into this conversation with my mom a lot because like, I tell her that I'm going to go back. And she's like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, because I've been taught for so long that the people here weren't worthy. And it wasn't until I actually got to Morehouse and to Atlanta that I realized that they are the most worthy. And they, as in me as well, yeah. we are the most worthy um, in all facets of that. And so it was funny, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't learn that until I got to Morehouse, which is also ironic because I was running to Morehouse to run away from that. And it was at Morehouse where I found like, those are the people, I need to run to them because they are me. I need to run to myself. And that was something so profound Ooh. that I, I completely I did not think that I, I was coming to Morehouse for. 
and it's so interesting when I look back on my, my, my career in my college experience at Morehouse because literally in a semester is when it changed. <laughs> literally. It's so fast. Like, I, I got to my second semester, and that's when I joined AUC Shut It Down, and that is literally w- was the pivotal point in my life that really, like, I'm like, running away? <laughs> what? So, like, yeah, that was a big thing for me. So I think that it doesn't even matter, like, if you grow up around black folks or not, because everything that is taught is that if it's bad, it's black. If it's good, it's white. And, and that is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change. That's, uh, I feel you. I feel you. That's it all day. Like, uh, I know I have a bit of a different story because, you know, I was from Whiteyville, USA. So, um, <laughs> so like, I, I have, like, a different uh, origin story, but it was pretty much the same thing. Like, I grew up in a town that I never saw any uh, African-American influential people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I did see someone who was black who was in position of power, they were other because of their right. nationality. Uh, so when I came to Morehouse, it was more so me wanting to be a part of that other class, but I also wanted to be, do that with black people. And then once I came there, I was like, hold on now, there is far more diversity than the experience that I've been taught. Like, it's not just this level one experience that, you know, I've been privy to. There's more to this than that. Right. And I understood how much diversity was present at an HBCU. And... You know, you don't get that often. You know, he's like, oh, well, you know, everyone here is all brown. They all do the same thing. They're from the hood. And I'm like, that's true. There are some people from those places, but there's also people who are rich as fuck. And they come in here and they're from good family, like amazing families. And, you know, like it showed me that I could compete. If I could compete in this place, I could compete in global society as well. And not just that I could compete, but that I was above average, that I was great i was good i was good and you know like when i see people try to reduce us to the stereotype or the status quo what they believe that blackness is it's just like you don't know shit about what blackness is but your investment is in whiteness even if you are black so it was it was just like a journey and it happens really quick like you said the first semester i remember coming home my uh for christmas after i started talking back to my family because you know homo uh, but i was playing like fela kuti in the kitchen cooking yeah, dinner they were yeah. like okay i'm like what's what's happening with you and i didn't even realize what was happening happening to me but it was growth and it was um, my wealth of knowledge was expanding, you know, like it was uh, it was like advancement in understanding. And, you know, I got that. But I don't feel like if I would have went to uh, NYU or if I would have went to Clemson like I had planned to, I would have gotten yeah. such an experience. And I'm appreciative of that. Listen, that's so, you know, you know me and, you know, I, I will critique Morehouse all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, HBCUs are so important. Mm-hmm. They are so important, and I think that there's a lot of work that must be done and that we have to do the work for these institutions. But I think that these places have the potential to be the safest, most radical but non-radical places there are for black folks. Um, and And I think it's also like the Christian church, which I am not a Christian, but I think they have the potential 
to be these these places and i think that they were uh, they were they were exactly so i know the potential is there because it has been done and so i think it's up to us like to get it back to where it needs to be because i am so thankful for my morehouse experience and and my morehouse experience doesn't just stop at the boundaries of the college my morehouse experience actually does extend past that that that, those physical boundaries my the the pittsburgh and um Turnerfield, sort of that community, Mechanicsville and Summerhill, Grant Park, and like all these communities around the Turnerfield Stadium, they are a part of my Morehouse experience. Those people from the Housing Justice League, um, the people who are at that tent city encampment, the people um, who were at the City Hall camp, like all of these things, those are part of my Morehouse experience. And to be honest, most of them are outside of Morehouse. But they all are part of my Morehouse experience. And I think that at an HBCU, you can get that experience. And I think it's important that we shape these places so that everybody gets that experience. Because there are so many people who come through and sort of just, hmm. I actually, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I think they're doing what HBCUs are teaching them, which is how to, um, to have a close proximity to whiteness. And that's what we need to fix. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Sorry. that. Because, like, it's, it's someone, that's, like, that's an unfortunate part about it. Because, you know, I came to the school for a sort of cathartic healing. You know, like, I wanted to be around us. And I wanted us to do the work that I needed to be the person that I wanted to be. And when I got there, you know, like, there was so much, so much just, you know, you have to assimilate. Like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to assimilate better than the way that you do. I'm going to teach you how to be the best black, white person that you can <laughs> be. The true Brian that your mom named you. Um, and I didn't want that. You know, like, I, I had access to that. I grew up with access to that. Even if you don't grow up around white people like I did, you still have access to whiteness. Well, not, not access to participate in whiteness, but access to understand whiteness because you need to to make white people right. feel comfortable. So, you know, I, I got that, and I didn't want that from the institution. Listen, when I tell you, and it's funny because, like I said, like, that actually is what I wanted from the institution. I wanted more of that, and that's why I came to the institution, not realizing that sometimes you ask for things, and you have to be careful what you ask for. Yes. Because I really did want to go to a place that would change me. And it definitely changed me. Um, and I think that when, you know, when it got to that time for that second semester, I was completely shunning what we talked about when we talk about this, when we talk about whiteness and, and surviving in this whiteness. And so whether it be like me giving tours for the school, I wasn't wearing suits. I didn't feel like wearing suits. I mean, granted, I like to look good. I like to get in a, a nice suit sometimes, but I'm not doing that every day. And I, and I pretty much gave tours several times throughout the week. I'm not doing that every day. Atlanta is hot. <laughs> yes, Okay, I'm not getting and in a humid. suit every day. Humid. And it ain't even no water close. <laughs> so I'm confused at what's going on. But um, I, I just didn't want to do that every day. My haircut. My hair is, uh, of course, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but... My hair is something that I control. It, it is, and a lot of people talk about it like this, and, it, and I, I completely get what they're saying. It is one of those things. It is a journey, and it is something that you control. And so, like today, even one of my friends got a haircut, and he asked me if I was going to get one. And he said, I said, no. And he said, why not? I said, I just don't want to. And he really, like, 
you know, my friends, they, they sort of know me. They, they know me and they accept me. And they, they, they sort of, they understand that when I say something, it's, it's not just me like, oh, just whatever. That there is like some conscious, like, I'm thinking about this. And so for me, one of those things is like with my hair, it's like, what am I getting my hair? Yeah, it's, it's nice to look nice, but I can still look nice with my hair being uncut. Like, I mean, what is, oh, kink? What, is, what, is what is well-groomed? Like, my hair is, it's growing. It looks good to me. Um, I went in the bathroom, put some water on it, and stretched it out a little bit. Like, I mean, other than that, like, I think my hair looks fine. It's not necessarily cut really low. Uh, it doesn't have the shape up right now, which granted, a little shape up could look nice. But even when I get my shape up, I'm not always cutting my sides down. I'm not always, I think that for me, every piece of my hair that I cut is me. <laughs> it is another piece of myself that I'm giving away to fit into whiteness. And that is just not what I'm trying to do. And so a lot of people have keep like asked me like, am I gonna cut my hair completely off? And if I do cut my hair completely off, it is only to let it regrow. So as like my full head, right now my sides are low um, and you know, the top of my hair is growing. So for me, the only reason why I would cut my hair is so that I could grow my full Afro out. But other than that, I'm not cutting my hair low for anybody. Whether I bantu knot my hair, whether I braid my hair, whether I two strand twist my hair, whether it walk out with this 4C nappy curl every okay, day, 4C. I don't care. This is my hair and it's something that I can control and it's something that it is my blackness. Talk about good and bad hair. Period. <laughs> I have to talk about that a few times. Uh, you know, some of the little kids, they think that my hair is bad because it's 4C. And I'm just like, child, I, I'm not mad at you because I understand that that's what you're being taught. But my hair is just as good as yours. Oh, Actually, there are a lot of things that my hair could do that yours cannot. Yours is and that's including hold these hair. twists. When I do this <laughs> twist out, let me, when I do my braid out, my twist out, my bantu knot, your hair could never hold <laughs> any of those styles. My hair... And a lot of ways, it's a lot more versatile than yours. So who really has the good hair? But, you know, that's not here nor there. Everybody's hair is good in their own right. Mm, go ahead. <laughs> okay, you got the, you got, that's your privilege right there because I do not have hair, baby. I Listen, am not blessed. That thing went when I was 19. It said bye-bye. Bye-bye, I'm baby. scared because I, it is one of those things that I am. It is something that means so much to me now. Now, granted, I'm... I will not sit up here and tell no lies. Sometimes the hair gets on my nerves and I'm like, oh, I just want to cut it all off. But I realize that that is also a part of this growth is that I can also be upset and angry. And I think that that is literally like a representation of other things in my life is that, yes, I can be upset and angry, but I'm still going to care for it. I'm still going to nurture it. Like it's still a part of me. It's still something that I love. Um, and I think that 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 literally has helped me in other parts of my life, like whether it be schoolwork or anything, it's like. I'm going to get frustrated, but I'm still going to give my love to it. And so my hair has been really important for me. Okay, preacher. So, okay, so we're getting near the end. So has there been any current event that has happened? I know Donald Trump be fucking up, but, you know. Who? Oh, that that orange man. Um, he be fucking up, so, you know. <laughs> but is there any current event that you would like to talk about? Maybe we can maybe flesh out a little bit. You know what? I think it's been really interesting. Um, I think you're going to actually have to remind me of things that are happening happening currently. Like, I hear them, but, you know, something that we, I don't know if you have ever had it put this way um, before Dr. Rice's class, but I've been really working on my media diet mm -hmm. um, because I realized that in community organizing, as I've been doing for the past few years, that I've been taking a lot in. And, be and because of my own, like, want to 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 talk about and to work on the mental health of black folks i thought it was really important that i 
made sure I worried about myself in that. And so I actually did have to like sort of, I, I had to stop when I tell you, so I don't really look at the news anymore. Um, and that's not saying that I'm not trying to keep abreast of situations, but I try to find it from somewhere else. One, because I don't like how the media always portrays things, um, especially when it comes to us. I don't believe in taking in black death and black trauma. Oh, Jesus. Um, and so because I don't know when it's going to come in on the TV, I try not to watch it. Um, and so like I hear about the things that are happening, but I, I get it from the conversations through my friends every day. So we, we, that's how I stay abreast on. So remind me of some things that are happening. Everything that's happening with Trump is a mess. Um, there's nothing to talk about. He's a mess. Everybody he's trying to appoint is a mess. Mm. Everybody is a mess. He is a mess. I don't even know what else to say about him. And so I try not to give him more of my energy. Um, yeah. You know, a lack of a topic is a topic for me because Listen. just as you, ever since Homeboy got, inaugura- got inaugurated, I was just checked out from the news like I, I i had to because like it's not it's not healthy it's not healthy for me to be like pummeled every day by microaggressions aggressions aggressions and then you have the news with there's another black boy dead there's another black woman that's dead there's like this like, i can't deal with all of this at once it's not good for my mental health so i don't it's not it's not remember mm-hmm. that it is not good for your mental health yes it's important to know what's going on but it's not necessarily important for you to actually view it that is a literal imprint on your brain of this image that you are going to see forever. Yes. Whenever you think about it, you're gonna remember what that image looked like and most likely you're gonna remember how it made you feel in that moment and that's just not healthy. Um, and so to bring it to a healthy conversation, I don't know about y'all, um, but you know, these local and state um, elections are you know coming up and happening and mm-hmm. things like that. And we have a um, Spelman uh, woman who is running for governor here in um, Georgia. Uh, that is <laughs> Stacey Abrams. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that is our Spellman sister, and granted, I don't think necessarily everybody who's your skin folk is your kin folk. So I do necessarily think that you should go out and do your research on any candidate and vote for who you see fit. Um, but I think it is important to have people in the office who do look like you. Um, mm-hmm. I do think now. Granted, like I said, you have to do your research first. So just because they look like you shouldn't be the reason that you get them in office. Period. But the homegirl is a little different. Homegirl is vetted, so go out, okay. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, everybody, and and wherever you are, look to see, like, and not just for black folks, too, like, if you see somebody else who, you know, is another person of color, who, again, not just because they're a person of color, well, doing the but work. because they actually are doing the work and they care about the community and have a track record for caring about the community, mm-hmm. then vote for those people. Vote for those underdogs. So we have these people who are community organizers who are running in elections who, one necessarily aren't on a, a Democratic or Republican ticket, um, who are a lot of times running independent, um, and and vote for those folks. Look at those folks. We got to get out this two party system because we're stuck with these same. They are the same candidates on the other side of the coin. Let's look outside the box. Same interests, same donors, same, the same people. Dude, that's what's important. The same donors. Y'all thinking that somebody's really different, but they got the same people donated on both sides because it doesn't matter. They're going to get their way because. The money is what is what's been talking lately. Even the uh, the light skin man that's um, president now, like he's like the same donors, like the same. He's been donating on both sides. We got a light skin man that's president. Uh, he uh, he's like orange. You know? Oh him, child. I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> Other good news for black folks around the world, um, because I just think it's always important to talk about the black stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethiopia and Eritrea have uh, signed uh, a treaty 
or they have ended their 20-year war um, and they have they are allowing travel back and forth as there are families being reunited um, which is amazing uh, we can talk about the tr- uh, they're also trying to make it so that you don't need the passport to travel within um, or between African countries and nations that's important and also trying to like reestablish some trade that yes. has been cut off before and I think that is extremely important um, and that we all need to like look at blackness on a global scale as well um, because at the end of the day, we got to band together to mm-hmm. to make to bring equity. It's not trying to like necessarily put black people on top or anybody on top. It's we need to to have equity. We need to right. we need to be moving forward together. And while we do have this capitalist system, let's be able to participate. And I want my right to earn as well. Like, I don't want that to be taken away. And yes. you're so educated, Mr. Eritrea, because I definitely say Eritrea. Like, <laughs> So it was really funny because um, I, somebody was saying it on, actually, it's somebody I know. But um, one of my friends is Ethiopian, uh, one of my really close friends. And I always hear him. I, I asked him about the conflict before. And uh, it was so funny. I have it in my voice notes. And the way they say it is is also not... Um, Eritrea, but in English and especially American English, the way that it's pronounced is Eritrea. Um, but I think in like with my friend, he's like I say, he's Ethiopian. He says like Eritrea. It's, it's something, but um, yeah. So it was really funny. Like I hear people talking about it all the time, but I mean, he's Ethiopian, and so we were talking, and he was like, yeah, I don't really know where that started, but you know, yeah. I'm, from, I'm from the south with two Fs, so Listen, you gotta say a lot of things wrong. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's you know just extremely important to think about all those things. Um, Black queer folks are out here. Black queer women are out here. Um, queer in all sense. Mm. But I definitely want to give a huge shout out um, to the black trans folks who are out here um, really paving the way. I think, though, when we talk about like people who are trying to live their authentic selves, we don't talk about the trans experience enough at all. We don't. Um, and those are people who are trying to live their most unadulterated presentation of self, period. Yes. That is queer that is the most different that that we can even think about now. Um, and it needs to be celebrated. And it needs to be celebrated. Queerness is something to be celebrated, not to be shunned. Period. So, yes. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. You are awesome, and you are, again, a veteran bad bitch, and I wanted to let you know. And thank you so much. I thank you for having me on here today. Um, I'm so appreciative, and I, again, love our conversations since you got into Morehouse, like, I feel, like, really old now. When you say veteran, that just makes me, I'm old. <laughs> but, like, it is, it's so refreshing um, to to have this, like, dialogue constantly, whether it be in classroom or just like, through our text messages or whatnot. This is really important for me. So I thank you for having me today. All right. So I'm going to be talking to you throughout your matriculation at the Vanderbilt University. Only two years from right now. At least it's only going to be two years. We'll see you after that. Okay. All right, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back.